0: This podcast is an audio recording of a live event. It may reference visual material that cannot be represented
1: in this recording. It may also contain strong language and adult themes. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ACME. Hello and welcome to the session. Um, I'm Kim Munro, the conference programmer here at AIDC. Um, First of all, I'd like to respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners on the land which we meet today for the conference, the Boon and the Woi Wurong peoples of the Kulin Nation and pay respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Um, so before we start the session, um, I just want to mention if this is the first session you're at um, for the conference, there's the app and the app is a great way to ask questions. So you just add this session to my agenda and into my agenda and you can put in a question anytime during the session um, and Andrew will um, field the questions um, and if that doesn't work for you we also have a, um, a microphone over here and a volunteer and we can do it in the the analog way so um, we'll see how that goes and um, before we start I want to say that this um, session is presented by screen territory so I'm really happy to to um, Bring up Jenny Hughes from Screen Territory, who's going to say a few words, and then we're going to go straight into the panel. So, thank you, Jenny.
2: Thank you. Thank you you for that. Um, Look, international networks are vital to the Australian documentary sector, both in bringing valuable production funding and partnerships to Australian producers and in bringing our stories to a global audience. Uh, Screen Territory is delighted to again be partnering with AIDC, including in presenting this session, looking at what's next for international networks. Um, This year, we've also extended our partnership with AIDC, and we're thrilled to be hosting special sessions with Adam Newhouse from ESPN in both Alice Springs and Darwin post this conference. Uh, We look forward to showing uh, Adam... Uh, some good Northern Territory hospitality when you come up. Um, I'd like to welcome our esteemed guest panellists for the session today, and we'll hand over to our moderator, Andrew Farrell, Head of Factual to int- uh, CJZ Australia, to introduce. I hope you enjoy the session. Thanks,
3: Jenny.
4: <laughs>
3: How fantastic was that clip of the Northern Territory and all those images? I mean, who, who wouldn't want to go up and work okay. with you guys? <laughs> it's incredible. Uh, thanks for coming, everybody, today. A Ar- raid on the stage uh, to my left. Three heavy hitters from some heavy hitting networks around the world. And uh, I'm sure we're all, I personally am, and you are hopefully as well, intrigued to hear about what uh, they look for, what's been working for them, uh, what they're looking for in the future, and also what their overview is of the sort of international factual series landscape as we traverse these uncertain televisual times. And they sit in their hot seats in New York and London and have an interesting perspective on it all, which uh, will be um, fascinating to discover. Um, just quickly, running through the names here, I've got Brad Holtzman, Senior Director of Nonfiction and Alternative Programming a and Television Networks. Welcome, Brad.
4: That's not my phone.
3: <laughs> you owe one case Thank of you. beer is the Australian tradition for that. Uh, Victoria Noble, Vice President, Original Content and Factual at Discovery UK. Welcome aboard. Thank you. And Adam Newhouse, Director of Development at ESPN Films and Original Content. Thanks for coming. I might just quickly get the three of you to give me a snapshot of... Uh, kind of what your networks are uh, about and, and what kind of stuff you do, just in a kind of a, a nutshell, so everybody can kind of get a picture
4: of uh, where, where you're coming from. Um, you know, what I do, I'm one of the commissioning uh, executives at a have been there for eight years, um, and I essentially run the project from a network perspective um, from the beginning to many, many seasons down the road. So I'm very thankful that I get to see all aspects. aspects. I was a producer before, so I kind of know what you guys do. Um, so I'm, uh, hopefully I've got uh, both. What A&E is, is we're the home of what we say, and it's certainly a aligned, but we actually, be- I think we believe in it and our programs as a result show it, our groundbreaking and trailblazing shows. Most of what we do hasn't been done before. Um, what we're not doing is recreating the wheel. We're making it better. Um, we're making it for the most amount of homes that watch, and hopefully people are going to talk about it the next day in all genres, in all forms of television. And our number one show right now uh, is Live PD, which is a show that for three hours on a Friday night, three hours on a Saturday night, and many hours of spinoffs around that, um, we broadcast live from eight different police departments, law enforcement departments, um, from 9 p.m. to midnight. Um, and as you can imagine, that is a, a pretty massive undertaking that took a lot of time to figure out, but Uh, It is generally the number one show on Friday and Saturday nights if basketball is not on the air. Um, And that's Adam's fault. Um, (laughs) But uh, we're very successful in that show. Um, But that show represents the groundbreaking, trailblazing nature of who we are. Thank you. Victoria, what are you
0: okay, guys about? So I head up a creative team and we commission and executive produce um, content for our UK free-to-air channels, um, Quest and DMAX, Mail Skewing Factual and um, for Discovery Channel. We create shows which are local and international, so um, our shows are travelling across the globe. We make shows here in Australia. We work with a variety of uh, production companies, um, established production companies and new um, production companies. We've got a couple of big hits here, um, Opal Hunters and um, uh, Gold, uh, uh, Outback Up, Outback Opal, um, which is super exciting for me. I think this uh, you can create content here in Australia which is um, traveling globally. So we've got probably 200 hours plus we're, we're looking after at the moment. Um, so it's super exciting across a, a mixture of uh, male-skewing genres.
5: And Adam? Yeah, I work for ESPN, which is a big cable sports network in the US. As Brad said, most of what we Uh, have is live sports, Uh, so we have a tremendous amount across a variety of cable channels. I work for the original content portion of ESPN, and that's primarily ESPN Films, uh, which is our 30 for 30 series. It's our historical documentary series, director driven. Uh, We've done over 100 films in the last 10 years, about 60 shorts and uh, a bunch of documentary podcasts. And then in addition, also work on kind of original content series um, that go on ESPN Plus, which is our direct uh, to consumer streaming network um, in addition to the cable channel so uh, anything that's not a uh, a talk show or a live sport uh, those are the things that, that cross my plate
3: and just to give you a sense of the scale that these guys are, are working at like as victoria said you know she's across 200 hours of programming uh a year um brad was saying he's close to about 100 hours of programming and while uh Adam has five films per year, but geez, you wouldn't mind having one of them because it's pretty prestigious to be in that 30 for 30 slot. So it's really at the porting end of stuff. And comparing the scale to uh, the broadcasting opportunities just here in Australia, uh, you can see why it's quite enticing to be, you know, wanting to work with these guys and to reach those audiences and and work at that that high level. Um, And we're about to find out, you know, what it is that, works for them and what might they hope might work for them in the future uh heading over to a and brad mentioned live pd that's been you know incredibly risky but in- incredibly big for you guys hasn't it yeah and interestingly you based on that you yourself came up with the idea to have a bit of a spin-off from that that's in that space
4: Yeah. so um the life PD universe um is uh, a juggernaut. And when you have these types of shows, you want shoulder programming. So um, we have many, many series um, that meet that crime audience. Um, One of the things my colleague uh, who runs the Live PD Universe and I, we usually sit in each other's office and come up with ideas that will never see the light of a day, um, as most ideas don't. But we were looking at the show and who doesn't love a dog, <laughs> right? I mean, you guys, uh, Seven is, uh, uh, has a series on Wednesday um, about grooming, um, that's not an 80s show. An 80 show has a little bit more edge to that. Um, and the dogs always, people just, it's this incredible crime show, but then when dogs come on air, the Twitter sphere would just change. It'd be like, oh my God, are those dogs? And to see a human and a dog interact, oh, it's so adorable, it's amazing. But these dogs are heroes. They are crime, they're they're law enforcement, they're they're unbelievable individuals' uh, pairings of the the owner and the dog. I started Googling, my colleague and I, and we found out that there was these dog competition shows that you've never seen before. They were law enforcement, and civilians would train their dogs to compete in this. And it looked like you've never seen anything before. So what essentially, and we'll cross this bridge to, to go to the other end, we, uh, my colleague and I, created essentially Ninja Warrior for dogs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it is bizarre, but why we did it, nobody in their right mind would ever pitch that show. That's the stupidest, dumbest show, and I would probably not tell you that, and I would probably be, oh, that's a good show for another network. Um, <laughs> but we did it because we had this captive audience, and guess what they can do? They can watch with their family this show. I have a six and a nine-year-old, two beautiful girls, that hasn't watched a single frame of my television, except for Top Dog. So it's a, it's a reach for us. It's our first competition show. It's a big format. It's a completely original creation. Um, we have amazing partners, by the way. My colleague and I came up with the idea, and we're heavily involved in all aspects, but the production company takes 98% of the credit, or they produce 98% of it. We take 100% of the credit. That's what a good network executive does. Um, so yeah, uh, top dog. Um, it's, in, it's airing right now. And we have, e- any day now, we will a- be able to say if we're ordering more episodes. Mm-hmm. I don't think the ink is dry on what needs to be dry.
3: So there you <laughs> saw a rare view behind the curtain into how television works. You know, A couple of exec- execs are spitballing in their office one afternoon. And then six months later, this comes on the air. Tim, can we roll the tape and see the promo for Top Dog?
5: Every week, the nation's best, most trained police canines
4: are, gonna get
5: are taking on an obstacle course Inspired by real-life police work. We have over 100 arrests together.
4: That experience is
5: a huge advantage. While facing off against civilian underdogs who could be half their size. It's not the size of the dog in the fight, the size of the fight in the dog. It's the ultimate canine competition. You had to root for the bulldogs, right? I did root for the bulldogs. America's Top Dog, all new, Wednesdays at 9 on A&E.
4: <laughs> who would ever in their right mind come up with that show? I
0: love it, I love it.
4: I mean, it was the most fun to be on the set. You know, one of the things that we very rarely do as network execs is see your creation come to life because it's generally another producers come to life. And when we came on set and we saw the footprint that the show was, it was impressive, but yet we had no idea if it would work because they're dogs. You can't, you know, you you know a human can do an obstacle course, but would a dog do this? And thankfully uh, for 11 episodes, close to 60 dogs, we only had two dogs that stopped during the course and peed. (laughs) One human. I mean, it's
3: quite, you know, format-wise, that's quite a left-field maneuver, and maybe you could have only pulled it off from inside the the building, like, compared to the other kind of more classical kind of uh, cable, factual programming that you have. This thing sort of sits in a quasi-entertainment kind of uh, space. Like, how did you get that over the line?
4: So every A&E show has to have a purpose behind it. And the purpose could be, we want to tackle the opioid crisis. The purpose could be law enforcement. The purpose could be incarceration. Or sometimes the purpose could be, we have an audience here, and we want to uh, tell you better stories uh, through what you see every day. So it was something that truly existed on, only on A&E because of what we already had on air. Um, but what this show does show is this show could live anywhere. This is not an American show. It's called America's Top Dog, not my choice, um, but it's called America's Top Dog, but every territory has a police, mm-hmm. essentially this type of uh, um, relationship in law enforcement and humans. But what we, cr- we did not, we could have created this show to be civilian dogs, just humans and and dogs because most people have a dog, or a large, I think 80% of the live PD audience has a dog. But what we decided to, that was not a great marketing platform. How, how do we get people to show up? But the show is going to evolve over time, and hopefully in seasons three or four, um, probably more four, the law enforcement connection is not going to be there at all, because you at home are going to be able to train your dog. And that's the quintessential A&E show, is the aspiration for our audience to step through the television and be on the other side of the screen whether you want to or not. You don't want to be on Live PD. Hopefully you don't, um, but you want to be on Top Dog. You chose to be at 60 Days In, which is an incarceration show. Um, first 48, you know, you're, you're actively, do you want to be the detective figuring out the murder? There's that relationship that this show does is when you watch at home, you're rooting for the dog, but you're also, you know, with Pickles, that's my dog's name, I'm serious, my dog's name is Pickles, and it's a poodle. That's when a six-year-old names your dog, is watching my six-year-olds going, can Pickles do that? Can Pickles do that? And that's why I think the show has resonated with our audience. And this we're casting now for uh, the next season. The amount of the underdog, we call it, is is pretty exceptional.
3: Great. Yeah, it's interesting to kind of nail down what the... The crossover is there in terms of who your audience is and why your, you know why live pd works for them and then this show you know where the venn diagrams yeah. intersect what is it that's the sweet spot there yeah.
4: i mean the, the the sweet spot is television that doesn't exist elsewhere belongs yeah. on A&E. Um, a and e it it sells itself it's distinct when you watch that promo you can't help but react you know you guys did that same thing um, and that that's what makes an a and e show if it's the 10th version of X show, it's hard for us to break through Um, one of the exercises that I tell people to do especially outside the US There's a website called the futon critic the futon critic go to the listings and it's American listings of Premieres of, of shows that are in premieres on any given day and don't cheat go to today 60 to 70 different episodes of new television are premiering daily and that does not include Friday's Netflix and Disney Plus and everybody that dumps seasons. How do you win? You win with distinction. And I think that's where the a and show is. So we, it could exist in any genre, any imaginable uh, um, venue, but that's why it's hard for us to do limited series because you only have six, four, 10 episodes to sell an audience to come back. That show could be 100 episodes. First 48, close to 400. Live PD, 400th episode. Is in uh, June. 60 days in, close to 100 episodes, six seasons. Intervention, tw- 19 seasons, almost 400 episodes. Our shows have life. They have, and I think that's where you know we got to find that that Venn diagram of how to, how can it cut through, but also is it distinct and has and can sell itself.
3: Boom! Put that all, put all that in your notebooks, people. That is uh, <laughs> <laughs> rock solid info there from Brad. Now. Traversing to somewhere completely different to the dusty outback of Australia via London, Uh, Victoria, your network has a love affair with Australia and the Australian um, outback. Guilty. (laughs) What we might do is uh, watch a clip first and then talk a a little bit about uh, what's working there and why you keep uh, coming back for more. Tim, can we... Have a look at a clip from an upcoming premiere. Yes, yeah, so it's, it's um,
0: Outback Opal and uh, the producer is Prospero and we've sort of just pulled a clip from the edit actually. Mm. The show hasn't, um, this series uh, is uh, in the edit so this one hasn't gone out, I don't
3: think. Okay, you saw it here first. So let's roll the tape please.
6: Every day I feel that we're running out of time and I'm trying to look for ways to cut corners, to get the dirt out faster. Dad's going to be homeless, I'm going to be homeless. We need money to be able to buy another place. It's like it's trying,
0: there's
6: a fleck of red, but that's all. Up here we've got pots and colour. And here we've got green. We'll come in over the top and we'll drop it down. You don't want to get the jackhammer too close, Usually you'll smash up all your opal. Right, mate, give us a hand. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. There's oh, green up yes. there. Yes. Look, look, at, look that. at that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's pay dirt, mate. Yeah, it's pay dirt. Oh, what do you want to do? <laughs> green, blues, reds. Oh. Look at those pieces. <laughs> you know, it just seems like it just it just keeps on getting better. You now checking the drum and let's get it all. Yeah, let's get it all.
1: Baden, look
0: at that. Oh, um, I can't see any there. No, I got it off with my hand. <gasps> look
6: at that! Oh. Look, it's
0: freaking yes. Yes, <laughs>
6: that's what I'm talking about.
4: Yes.
0: Yes. <laughs> I'm
2: nearly
3: shaking. Yes. <laughs> uh, when you got men in hard hats getting teary and dusty, you, know, <laughs> you can't beat it. <laughs> so t- tell us, tell us what's working for you there with all, with those shows.
0: So look, I think. Um our um, networks, uh, especially our free-to-air networks, have got a sort of very warm, celebratory feel to them. And I think um, Opal and Gold... Um, those shows play into it. They are big characters. We're rooting for those characters. They're relatable characters. They are characters who are working hard to put food on their their family table. But they're also, you know, dreamers. And actually, you know, I watch those shows and I, you know, think, oh, my God, wouldn't it be amazing if I could go out there and strike gold? And, in fact, I am going to Western Australia (laughs) Next week, so you may never see me again. But um, but um, you know, I think that's what's exciting. They are relatable. There is a warmth. There is a joy in those shows, and I think you know British audiences uh, have got such a strong connection to Australia, a history. Um, most Brits have got relatives here in Australia as well, and I think there's a there's there's a, um, a real familiarity. Um, about it and so I think you know those shows we, we order large numbers of shows um, we are really keen to invest in our producers and so you know we will commission perhaps two series at, the t- at a time I think last time we commissioned for Aussie Gold we commissioned 40 episodes um and um, Opal is um, also you know 20 a series, 20 a year. So we're taking 40 hours um, of that Australian content. We've also got, Outback truckers. We've also made a series with WTFM, which was our Sydney Harbour Patrol, um, that did very well for us as well. So I think that um, this content is travelling well. The tough job space works very well. So you know, for me, I think it's it's such an exciting space to be, you know, creating content.
3: Where else do those shows? Like I can, I think we could get our, imagine how a, a British audience. Mm-hmm. Could find a connection with these Australian stories because sure. it looms large in their imagination mm. and personal connections. But what about your other territories? How do they how do they go outside? So
0: look, they were. I mean, look, um, you know, gold rush. Uh, produced um, by our team mm. in the US, is a, is a massive yeah. global show on yeah. Discovery. So in a way, you know, Aussie Gold and Opal are super-serving that audience. Mm. It, that kind of content travels. Who doesn't want to find treasure, mm. right? Mm. So, so so I think that does work, and I think there are genres of programming that, that, that travel very well internationally. You know, you, you look at motoring programming, that also travels... Very well. So I think I think you know we play this show in a number of European territories. I mean, and, and this show is also distributed. They, these are co-productions. Yeah. Um, so multiple territories.
3: And uh, I'm sure there are producers in the room now who've got an, an amazing uh, dusty bloke out in the bush who they think might be a good guy to wrap <laughs> a series around. You've still got an appetite for more. Yes, of definitely. These kind of definitely.
0: Definitely. We are actively. Um, in discussions, uh, we've got a show, another show in development here, in paid development. Um, we work with producers uh, to sort of brainstorm ideas, and we're really happy to go into development. In fact, we've got two shows, um, which are um, very close, actually. Mm. Um, and we work, I work very closely with Darren um, in our ANZ office. In fact, uh, sort of our business is UK and ANZ, so we ver- work very closely on uh, both Opal and Gold and on um, new projects. So it's super exciting.
3: Great. Now a little uh, a pivot to the big leagues of sport now and our friend Adam on the uh, end there. 30 for 30 is a legendary uh, documentary sort of uh, series in the world of sport and it must be very exciting to be kind of a part of that universe and working on those kind of... Uh, films, you're working on a big project which is right at completion now about Lance Armstrong, which is a a big story in sport, a big character. Can you just – we'll have a look at a clip in a second, but can you just give us a bit of backstory about uh, the the origin of uh, how that project came about and and why that was something that fits into your space?
5: So a lot of times for 30 for 30, you know, we're looking at historical – Uh, Story. So something that's at a minimum 10 or 15 years in the past. And we think that's because, you know, with a little bit of time and distance, you're able to understand, did this really matter? How did this create impact? What type of unforeseen consequences happened because of what happened back then? Also, the main people involved in the story, now with a little bit of time, are they able to say something different than when you have them in the kind of archival footage? So Lance, you know, we got, um, you know, an email kind of uh, from producers saying, you know, would you guys be interested in this? Our first reaction was, Ugh, there's already been so much. What, what else needs to be done about this? But then as we started looking in, we were like, OK, well, the last documentary was made seven years ago. So what's different? So we went down and met with Lance. And um, what, what, when we met him, um, he's a very captivating person. And he said, basically, if I had to do it all over again, I would do it the exact same way. And so we said, okay, that's an interesting position to take. Uh, but we also know that this was somebody who's uh, has an incredible charisma, and some might say a manipulation. And so we said, okay, well, how would you, would we make a film like this? You know, none of the subjects of any of our films are producers on the films, obviously. Um, so then it became a question of who should help tell this story. Um, and so for us, we quickly as a team landed on a woman named Marina Zenovich, who we worked with before. She has a just a great reputation of speaking truth to power and also being just a total badass who's not afraid of anybody. So we thought, okay, now perhaps there's this interesting dynamic of somebody who's going to not be affected by his charisma and be able to kind of stand up. So we went in... Unsure of what the film was going to be, we knew it would cover his whole career. We know it would talk about this nature of uh, when do people get forgived in the kind of public discourse. Um, but what we couldn't have imagined, and what happens when it goes from development to actually being made, is you know how that film would come up, come to fruition. And what happens in the film is that. Marina has a kind of dialogue with Lance as part of the film, and so you're getting the historical, but you're also just getting this remarkable someone who's trying to call BS on the things that she sees, and she, in this essence, serves as a as a stand-in for the audience in that way. And so what you find is a very complicated. Um, Story where you're seeing early footage of him so that you understand where some of his drive uh, and charisma comes from. But then also um, you're seeing the downfall and you're seeing how quickly all of that that changed. So uh, we were lucky enough to premiere this at the Sundance Film Festival this year. And we're going to be playing it at film festivals around the world. And then we'll find a a great slot on ESPN to premiere it. But this works for us because here's a story. uh, The phrase we use a lot is, here's a story you think you know and the real thing is that we're all living our lives and we're all in a river of content and all the new TV and films that are coming out so you actually remember just a fraction of what happens in in real time and so if you're able to kind of go back and provide uh, cultural context and perspective um, you're able to see things with a brand new, uh, brand new light but then also there's a kind of nostalgia or a kind of intrigue to a character that we know already exists so uh, this is a story, you know, when we look at kind of a, an iconic person or iconic story, um, it's helpful for us because it helps us to be able to market an iconic story that people know. But it's always about, well, what's the creative take on it? What's the angle or the perspective that you're taking on the story? And so for us, um, it's less, I would say, producer-based and more director-based. Um, so for us, we spent a lot of time watching films by directors, um, going to film festivals and finding exciting work, and then talking about um, how that person might want to make a film in the world of sport.
3: Okay. Well, let's uh, let's take a look at the the results of, of this latest search. Let's roll the tape on Lance. Thank you. The last five years
6: has really caused me to pause and try to understand not just myself, but what this story meant to other people, what this story meant to the world, right? And um, you know, that's a heavy thing to, to think about. I never knew the story was as big as it was. I just I knew it was big, but I didn't know it was I didn't know it was that big. If I was competing today, I could I could tell you who my peers would be, right? My peers would be Michael Phelps, LeBron James. And so I can, I I see where they are. And so only now do I realize, okay, that's where you were. That's where I was. I really don't miss that. And I I think if I'd have stayed there,
3: it wouldn't have been good for my family. Yeah, wow, pretty, uh, compelling stuff like what a character you just kind of can't take your eyes off yeah so to get through you know you come knocking on the door at your office you want to have a a big idea and a big a big uh talent We'll yeah. To it,
5: so. I mean, you know, everything's a matrix, right? So if you're a director who has a lot of shiny objects and trophies, you know, you might be able to pitch me something, you know, uh, that's just kind of, hey, have you thought about doing this? And we're excited to work with you. If you don't have that, that's okay too. We are, we pride ourselves. On, I think the reason that the series has, been successful for as long as it has been is because we're always trying to find emerging talent. So, But if you're an emerging talent pitching something, well, you better know that story inside and out, and you better tell me, oh, you think you know this. Here's the thing you don't know about this story. Um, and if you're pitching, uh, if you're not pitching something that's based on an iconic something, if it's a small story that nobody knows, well, that story better be like this. It better have like immense amount of drama, an immense amount of just kind of up and down to it. So, if it's not iconic, then the bar is higher, maybe for the story itself. Um, but we're we will do the work. If you uh, have only made a bunch of digital pieces, we'll go watch all your digital pieces. You know, so we're we're definitely okay if you don't have a long um, kind of resume. But we you know we want to make sure that you can pull off what you're what you're pitching.
3: Just might throw up in a question to the sort of whole uh, panel here. You know, talking about the the things that your bosses are looking for from you and what keeps you awake at night. Like what is the dream situation where you go into work one day and someone comes in with a pitch? You know, that you're in constant kind of terror of the black at the end of the, of the plan as well. So you're just as hungry for someone to come through with great stuff as the people in this audience are to f- get you guys to say... Yes, all networks want things.
5: I'd be interested, how many pitches did you, did you say received in 2019?
0: Oh, my God. I couldn't put a number on it. I mean, um, a lot. And very few actually stand out mm. uh, and, and go into development. Um, but we do put money behind projects and we do, we do develop. So that really helps us. Uh, I feel like um, almost everything we put into development um, does... Translate to a commission, so right, that's you, quite
4: exciting. Not everything we put in development <laughs> translates to a commission. Mm-hmm. Um, shows have to be scary; they have to cause. And my my boss gave me this line, and I've seen it happen: that she walks up, she walked up from a pitch, opened up a bottle of Tums, oh, put God. two in her mouth, because that's how scary it was. Be, not because of the project because how the hell am I going to sell this to my boss, her boss, which is the, the, the top of all of the a networks? That's an a show. That's what makes you excited because it's something new and different. There isn't 10 years of research that say that this is going to be good, bad. This is going to be the demographic. This is going to be social economic status. It's going to be work on Wednesday, 10 o'clock. It shows that are creating their own path. That's what excites me. And the, I'm telling you, you just know it. You feel it our audiences will do the same. You know, with 60 Days In, that was the first show that if it did not rate, I should be out of the business. It was a show that we never in a million years would ever think about. We all could have gotten fired for it. I was on, you know, the sheriff, um, this is a show where we send in seven regular people undercover to live as inmates for 60 days inside our incarceration system. That's batshit crazy. Those individuals are batshit crazy, but there's a whole purpose behind it. Two days before we were going uh, to produce the first season, the sheriff goes to me, not a single person is going to last more than two days. The show's called 60 Days In. (laughs) I commissioned 10 episodes, 10 hours. That's a problem. I did not tell a single soul, because we, we could have pulled the plug if that actually came true. So I went, um, I was going anyways and I went. It was the most fascinating experience just watching our undercover people live inside this system and I immediately went home to my uh, to my boss and said we got to pick up another season. I don't know if we can work this undercover thing again um, and somehow I think I got her on a day that was a good day um, because she said yes to another 10 episodes without seeing, seeing a frame except for my of my iPhone footage of just me showcasing and go, that that that's our that's our person. You know, that's Robert. Robert's right there. He doesn't belong here. It was fascinating. So it's that gut, it's that feel, it's that excitement. And then when you talk to people about it, it's also that excitement. An AE show also puts my boss in the bell of the ball seat. You know, with this top dog show and Nat B, everybody wanted to talk to her about that show. That's an AE show. Just gets other people. In our business excited um, so it's it's there's no mandates there's no cupcake show in Florida I use that reference a lot because nobody gives it in about a cupcake show in Florida but something that's groundbreaking travel is pays new path is dangerous that's exciting it's fun and it makes our jobs a whole lot more fun when we're creating the television that you don't know how it's gonna end
5: how many times a year do you feel that way
4: probably two or three um, I, I, more than you think and of those two or three, maybe one gets commissioned. Um, you know, the, the show that... Well, I'm going to... There's a show coming up that I'll tell you that I got that feeling and I'll give you the origin story.
3: And, and Victoria, what, you know, in the slew of pictures that come across mm, the desk mm. to you, what makes your you sort of sit so, back?
0: So, look, um, talent, um, I think, um, for um, Discovery Channel, talent-led shows work very well. In the UK, um, we have a lot of... Um, material coming from, um, uh, the U S nets. And actually when we commission, it has to be really noisy. Um, we do the occasional sort of one-off. We created a show that went out last year, um, with our survival expert, Ed Stafford. Um, uh, some years ago we put him on an Island with nothing naked, uh, and marooned. And that was sort of the first show. And the first time that had been done and he spent six weeks, um, on that island um and that was an extraordinary and intense and disturbing experience for him at times um and then last year he went back uh, to a different island but repeated the experiment with his wife and toddler so there was um Make- you know naked? He wasn't naked no, okay. <laughs> he wasn't naked this time, but um they took on very little to the islands, and I think that that caused a number of ripples as far as duty of care, mm. um, but it was really noisy and really exciting. Um, So that was fun. And I think, um, you know, big name talent, established international talent, I think are really hard to find, actually, um, who will travel. And so ideas in that space. And then, you know, precincts and access, I think, is really exciting where we haven't seen it before.
4: Yeah.
0: Um, Privileged access.
4: Let me just say, it's funny because you say that because I was on another panel with another U.S. Discovery exec and said very similar. And he's quite opposite. Yeah. There's no talent that's ever sold a show outside of maybe the first few episodes. We had Mark Wahlberg in a show that raided through the roof in the first season and then, okay, you know, and no level. Um, The jail that 60 Days In was this small, tiny jail on the note where it was nowhere, but the format is what sells. Mm. So when you look at our shows, and which is why I think both of us can exist, our shows, and I love the word you use, matrix Mm. for us. Almost every part of that matrix has to be big, except for talent. Mm-hmm. You know, talent never, no EP has ever sold a show. No person in front of the cameras ever sold the show. The format itself has sold the show. If it's incredible access, okay, that door opens a bit. But incredible access and no groundbreaking nature to an output to the audience, you know, it doesn't work on a and um, But again, I, I think that's why all of us can work together sure, is sure. that we all have different needs for our audience.
0: Sure, and I'd say on talent as well, I think um, our ta- we're not looking to um, sort of parachute a host in for the sake of having a host. Actually, that host needs to be invested in that content. You know, the idea of putting Ed and his wife and toddler on the island was an idea that we discuss with Ed and that he wanted to try and that he was invested in. I think um, you have to have talent that is curious, that is
1: really wants
0: to learn and understand a subject matter if they're going to be involved in it and really live it.
3: And I guess, Adam, for you, because you've got a much smaller uh, number of uh, programs compared to these guys, you can't afford to make a misstep and when you put the money down you want to make sure you're on a a real winner.
5: Yeah, I mean we're we're working on documentary timelines as well. So, yeah. you know, like right now I'm I'm working to find films for 2022 and, you know, these things take at least over a year and but I'm always uh, afraid of of not having enough in the pipeline cuz, you know, production is just another word for problems happening. Mm-hmm. So, you know, certainly you never know how things are going to turn out from especially the development side. So, uh yeah, always trying to find enough uh for that. I will say the the kind of blessing that our department has is because we have live sports and a million talk shows all day, every day, You know, day, we're just kind of a brand halo part of the company. So for us, the way it's a really big win is, is can we get the rest of the company pushing this beside this? Can we get, you know, our favorite um, compliment is when people say like, oh, I don't like sports, but I like 30 for 30 and I watch 30 for 30. So that that's probably our favorite thing because we're looking to find amazing stories that just happened to be in the world of sports. Um, but we you know we also do series that are much more american focused stuff and a lot of the stuff that um Victoria and Brad were saying kind of ring true for us like EPs don't move the needle for us Um, you need to have you know for us one of the big new trends in sports is that all these athletes are starting their own production companies so you have LeBron James and Kevin Durant and you know Chris Paul and all these places and they've been filming themselves but they also want to be the producers and they don't have a lot of reps doing it and you know to keep up the kind of journalistic integrity that ESPN's news organization is, um, you know, the, the leader and the kind of paper of record for sports, you know, we try to do that same thing uh, on the doc side. So it can be very challenging for us because. We're also business partners with the NBA and the NFL and Major League Baseball, and we're trying to tell complicated stories from within those worlds. And so, um, there's always kind of a delicate dance as we're dealing with all of our partners um, to try to kind of create the, you know, a project that we're proud of that can play at film festivals. How do you handle that if you're
3: doing, say, you're doing something about, uh, you know, brain injuries in the NFL? Massive.
5: Story. Delicately? Yeah. I mean, answer, I mean, we did, you know, an NFL story called about Junior Seau, a former player who died of CTE. Um, you know, it's complicated because on the one hand, we're we're invested in making these documentaries and we have our little artist band group. But, you know, we have a multi-billion dollar deal with the NFL and multi-billion dollar deal with the NBA and multi-billion dollar deal <laughs> with UFC. So the videos. numbers are massive. And, and at the end of the day, the president of ESPN their job is to manage our live sports and manage our our program. So what we do is, you know, I think people have recognized that 30 for 30 stands for quality. We're not going to shortcut something. We're not going to do something for just the sake of doing it. And so we've built up a lot of trust with our partners and the ability to kind of uh, early in the process, let them know what's coming, uh, give them the opportunity to put forth somebody to speak in the piece as well. Uh, But, It's not clean cut, and it's a delicate dance every time we have something.
3: Okay, we'll we'll sort of swing to uh, looking a bit towards uh, the future now with these guys and shows that are uh, shows that are coming up. You started to touch on it before, Brad, uh, a big new crime series which you've got uh, coming up. Should we uh, should we see the clip first to set the scene, or do you want to prime it up? We'll see the. (laughs) Let's let's roll the tape. I'll take your leave. Yeah. Okay, team, let's have a look. Show me, don't tell me.
6: I'm being accused of murdering my mom by my dad. Your life can change forever. I had to shoot my wife to save my son.
3: With one moment. This whole thing's a bad nightmare. You just expect to wake up from it. And then you realize you are awake. With one accusation.
1: To be accused of hurting my own son, it destroys me as a mother, it destroys me as a human being.
5: A groundbreaking new show.
1: What's at stake is our family being
5: pulled apart. It'll bring you closer than ever.
1: My heart is racing. My legs are shaking.
5: Follow seven real life cases. There are going to be people out there who say we got to hold somebody criminally responsible
3: every step of the way. Find him guilty as charged. It's the most terrifying
5: thing. Ladies and gentlemen, have oh. you reached a verdict? Accused, Guilty or Innocent, a new series premieres Tuesday, April 21st at 10 on A-E.
3: Ooh, nice work, ooh. promo
4: department. is yeah. great. <laughs> this is when our marketing, t- marketing department wins. Yeah, you know. yeah.
3: yeah, I love that grab. You know, you just want to, uh, you wish you were awake and then you realize you are. Uh, tell us, um, what is this all about and how does that get the needle into the red? Yeah. For you and your team.
4: So, um, crime on AE um, is very distinct. Live PD, First 48, 60 Days In are all leading programs. Um, they are massively watched. The ratings are through the roof um, on a weekly basis. So, how the hell do you win? Um, you know, we're not a crime network despite the fact that we have arguably three of the best crime shows on hmm. television. Nobody from Netflix is here. So, I can say that. Um, and I, I do think that they represent entertainment television with a purpose, not purposeful entertainment. So we look for that in all of our programming. So this is an interesting story. Um, I traveled to London quite a bit. And this show, in fact, has bought me many more trips to London because I sat down. One of my favorite things I, I love to do is to send emails to other commissioners. They stupidly respond to me, <laughs> and, and we have a chat, and they Undoubtedly, for the first couple minutes, they're like, why am I sitting down with another commissioner? Because I'm looking, it's a waste of my time. And then a couple of minutes in, they're like, oh, oh, wait, we can talk in a safe environment about shows that we love. So Guy Davis at five, I sat down with him and I asked the question, what is the one show that you love that I don't know about? He said, this accused film. And I'm like, oh, okay, I don't do films. I really don't do films. And he told me the log line. What if you were accused of a crime you didn't commit? What if the audience believes that you believe you didn't commit the crime, but did you? And it's a roller coaster ride. Are you guilty or are you not guilty? Only from the point of view of the accused, because that's your nightmare. Your nightmare is knock on the door, you're being accused of murder. What, what? I I have no idea what you're talking about, but are you lying or are you telling the truth? And then. This show goes all the way through the process to the jury and you see if they're guilty or innocent. This is not a, we believe that they're innocent show. This is a, the jury's going to tell us if they're innocent or guilty. So when Guy told me that, I reached out to the producer, had no idea who the producer was, Malcolm Brinkworth, he's a veteran in the business in the UK. I called him up and said, hey, it's Guy Davis's favorite show, which is always a good phone call to receive. And we met, and I said, I can't make a film. I need to make a series. So his great film, which was a documentary that aired on Five that did very well, I can't make, but let's figure out the series. And that's the step that we had. We had a feasibility study. And very quickly discovered, unsurprisingly, that crime in America happens a lot. (laughs) (laughs) A lot more than in the UK or, thankfully, in any other territory. So he quickly found out. He's like, oh, my God, I have stories up the wazoo. And that's when the series was born. Um, So that's how it gets through. It is, again, going back to the feel and the emotion, you wake up, that is a nightmare. Your nightmare of accused of being a crime. And when you watch this series, every episode is a roller coaster ride. And just when you think that person is guilty, they're not. Just as you think that person's not guilty, they're not. Then you think they're guilty, but they're really not guilty because you're trying to just mess with me to think that way. And then they actually are guilty. It's just this world. And then there's a mistrial. And then there's a plea to, Like every imaginable ending, it is a true drama in every sense of the word in a series form. There's going to be 100 episodes made. I guarantee it because it's something that, oh, my God, why didn't I think about that? Just show the side of an accused. Because that's what relates to the audience. Who cares about the prosecution? I mean, we care about the prosecution, but the lawyer, the, the you know, we don't need to know any of that. In scripted, great, you can do anything. But in unscripted, oh my God, what would I do if how, knocked on the door? How
5: do you do it? That's such a long timeline. How do you make that feasible financially for you, guys? I'm gonna, can for you So
4: I'm gonna tell you the secret. Let's hear it. The secret is You have a producer that's willing to invent, no,
5: Um, (laughs)
4: it's, um, there is a way that you believe that based on conversations you have that the trial date is going to stick and not every, um, you have to overshoot and you have to plan and what Brinkworth very smartly did is they have a skeleton crew, you don't need to be there all the time, you know that there's certain points, so yeah, we have a case that lasted 12 months. But when we signed up, the trial was two months away. So everything we sign up is about three months outside of trial. So it's that really condensed, I may not come home. And it's just, because if it's two years from now, there's no real stakes. But if it's three months, so it, the, 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 the secret is with certain judges, they turn cases over quicker. With certain states, they turn cases quickly. All of the stuff we learned in the first season and in subsequent seasons, so it's a good question.
3: And so that is uh, premiering soon. How many how many eps are we talking about?
4: We have eight hours. We yep. have seven cases. April twenty first. Um, I'm telling you, I've never been part of a show that every episode is a mm-hmm. And I think I've probably openly said, "My God, that's a great show," and it really isn't a great show. Every episode is so good and so different, but yet it's this format and this point of view that nobody's ever been done before. It's if you ever speak to Malcolm and his and his son Xander, um, please like watch the show and ask them questions and how it's done. Because there's never been a producer that I, I've also been in business with. A lot of producers, the passion that these two individuals have, they make me look amazing, way beyond what I ever could be able to do. Like I think I'm pretty good, but I'm not that good. You know, he makes me look as good as I like. I told him I'm like, why am I not? You know, why I get to travel is because of you. You know, you make my shows. I don't make these shows. Um, it's the partnership that makes the shows. But he's the 95%.
0: You can see how that show is going to travel, right? Because it's so relatable. It's got the sort of relatable question. What would you yeah. do? You mm-hmm. know, As you've said, you know, as an audience, you put yourself in those people's shoes. Yeah. And it's hugely relatable.
4: I want to say one thing, too. So um, one of the things that, in, and as I talk over the couple of days, and probably have responded to a couple of you, everybody has great ideas, it's really hard to have a great series. And this started out as a great idea. And my question and challenge was, how do you make this a series? And I think that for me, if you're a maker, if you're a filmmaker, and I say this, I was in scripted a lot, I didn't understand why people were in film. Because you have 90 minutes or 120 minutes to live in a character. But in television, you got to live 100 episodes with that character that you created. How much more fun is that? And you get to have every seven days, you make an hour worth of television and film. It could be three, four years. I'm incredibly biased when I say this, of course. So I'm not saying don't make a film. I'm not saying that. You know, Amy has that part. But if your film can be 100 films, 100 episodes, one, I think your spouse or family would like the money (laughs) of that. You know, there's a business. But you created something so special that it could live and live and live hopefully beyond beyond you, there is something that's exciting. So when I talk to filmmakers, I get very excited because they have something that I don't, I'm not in business with every day, but how can we turn your brilliant idea into 100 episodes? Um, Because I think that's where, that's one A&E, that's definitely A&E, but also I think it's much more fun once you've created something special to keep at it. I agree wholeheartedly.
3: I also think history? you create
0: a loyal audience, and actually, you can then superserve that audience and create, as you have done, I guess, with your sort of police show and the dog show, you know, those spin off shows. So you can create bo- broader propositions. We've done that um, with a couple of our shows as well. And it's hugely exciting for our audience and also investing a lot in those producers um, uh, to superserve.
4: Yeah, I mean, I'm, t- you know, I hate to put business and money in a creative conference, but there's, you know, the one thing that I was taught, and I, I don't even know who taught me this there's two words in show business. It's not show, it's not business, there's two words in show business. Show comes first. That absolutely, it's not business show, it's show business. But to really be truly successful in this business, to make impact, um, it's show business. Intervention, every episode saves a life. In one film, I could save one life. 300 episodes, I think we've saved upwards of 400 lives. How impactful and amazing is that? If the producer put that in a film, it would be great. But because of a series, we're able to make an impact so much more. And it's in television, it's in people's homes. There's just an entertainment factor to it that I think resonates. We all want to make a difference in this world. We all want this world to be better. A&E, I think, can make that happen with the partnership. You know, just think a little bit differently. Um, and, And I think we've done that.
3: Cool. Okay. Switching over to the future on um, Discovery UK, mm. quite a different kettle of fish.
0: Yes. yes, <laughs> with, yes.
3: Uh, we're coming back to also access to big names Yeah. here. Um, we might have a look at the clip first. Yeah, why not? We'll see a big name uh, in action he might be familiar with, and then we'll talk about how he came to be dangled off one of the world's or the world's uh, tallest building. Tim, let's roll the tape.
4: You're just going to
3: swing round slowly?
6: Yeah. So that you can sit on the outside.
3: Go. I'm very scared, but I'm trying to style it out. Bend your legs. And
5: it's comfortable, right? No.
4: Rajesh, can you pass us the buckets please? The what? Yeah, you're going to
6: get a bucket. I don't want a bucket. You're going to clean glass. (laughs) I don't want to clean glass. I just want to get down
4: alive.
6: Thank you. Everything is tied on. There we go.
3: You have a bucket. Now, flip your rope over like that. Yeah. And we're going to start going down very slowly. Let's go down.
2: Mm -hmm.
5: (laughs) Slow down, slow down, slow down. Yeah, now we're going to clean these glasses right in front of us. This hand down. That's the hand that
3: drives. Okay. So this takes three months to do the whole building. Yes. At the end of which time, you start again. That is Every window is cleaned four times a year. Dangling precariously off the side of the world's tallest building for a living takes nerves of steel. I could not do this for a job. Uh, It's not everyone's cup of tea.
0: After just a few minutes on this rope, my nerves are shredded.
3: All you have to focus on is slowly going down. A little bit at a time. No, I can't. No. Why am I moving past that rib? Keep calm. No, I'm really unhappy. Go down, go down. You're pretty much on the ground. Whoa, whoa, slowly.
1: And you're down. How was it for you? Would you do that again?
3: No, no. (laughs) Let alone every day. And after three months, get to the end and start again. I wish I could stop my fear of heights getting in the way of enjoying the marvel and splendor of a truly beautiful building.
0: Sometimes, when you're doing scary stuff, the fear goes away the moment you start. Then, sometimes it intensifies. <laughs> That's one of the things about big. Sometimes, big can also be terrifying. He's genuinely terrified of heights. Yeah, I can't you believe he can... signed up for the series. Yeah. <laughs> Every, uh, every show was a trauma for him.
3: So, ha- what came first there, the, um, the idea or the, the name?
0: Okay, so the name, actually. Um, so, we were keen to create some content for Discovery UK, but also a show that would travel internationally. And we started talking to Richard about ideas and his um, development, except Alex. And this is when they were still sort of making a lot of Grand Tour for Amazon. And then um, that sort of changed and they were just sort of making specials. And engineering is a core genre for us. And we're keen to see how we can put new twists or new talent or make those engineering shows more entertaining. Um, And we felt Richard could do that for us. He gives us license, I think, to be entertaining, and he's a he's, he's funny guy. Uh, and so we sort of came up with Big, Richard Hammond's Big, um, and he was so invested. You know, this was... He then started his own production company to make this show called Chimp. Um, so it was just him, his development guy, and uh, a sort of freelance uh, production manager... And we supported them as they crewed up and made the production and sort of launched their business. So it was their first production. And I think, you know, it. Was, there were lots of learnings, but it's been a brilliant series. And we have started premiering that series in the UK. And thankfully, it's doing really well because it's a big show for us. It took me quite a while to get it over the line internally um, because... Um, the cost per hour is higher than we would normally um, mm. uh, normally have on our, on our network, certainly for our local shows. Um, but there was a lot of support, and science came in as well on that series. So it allowed us to sort of get it up and running. And I think, you know, what's exciting for me as well is, you know, you can only find Richard, I suppose, new content behind the paywall, uh, you know, on Amazon with some grand tour specials, and now on Discovery Channel. So it does feel special. And he was fully invested in all the press. You know, he came to, you know, it was just him and his development guys to start with, but throughout the production, you know, he was there when he could at production meetings. He was he was really creative. And I didn't really know what to expect of Richard, actually. But he's an incredible co co-production partner. So it's been hugely exciting. And 13th of April I think it goes out in Australia. So Hopefully uh, it will work here too. And how many
3: how many episodes in that one? So, so it's
0: nine episodes and we, um, I think um, Richard actually went to the top of the Burj in Dubai and I think it's only, he's sort of one of a few Tom Cruise, I think, has been there for Mission Impossible and Richard <laughs> <laughs> haven't. I mean, the access was amazing actually. Yeah. We filmed in the States, um, the biggest plane, and we had... Um, very privileged access to some uh, training flights for the c5 galaxy we filmed at the biggest car factory in europe the vw factory so the access has been extraordinary and actually we really celebrate the everyday heroes who drive live and design big and so i think there's wonderful sort of richness in the characters as well as the technology
3: it's funny, they're like they're perennial stories and perennial discovery Channel stories, but it's new ways to skin the cat, new ways to tell them that haven't been seen before and it just keeps that's keeps right. Evolving. I mean, I
0: think look, I think um you know Richard really pushes this into the entertainment space. He's mm. not afraid to ask the obvious questions or the questions that we might be asking um at home. and you know he is terrified of heights, he gets to do some incredible stuff here and he is uh, you know, there's a sort of his boyish amazement actually. Um, and he's learning as we're learning, so yeah. it's re- it's a really good fun series.
3: Cool, looking forward to that. Um, over over to Adam now, and here's a story which uh, you should pay close attention to because it's a heroic origin story of a um, a very good project coming up of Adams that began at a conference, very very similar to this. So maybe that bit of paper that's burning a hole in your back pocket right now uh, could could find its way to the big leagues, as it did for somebody else uh, over at the Sheffield DocFest. Do you want to yeah. tell us a little bit about this project uh, that's, uh, that you've got um, sure. coming up, Adam?
5: You know, when you talked about fear of, you know, finding the next project, I think for me, you know, the idea that sports documentaries have become incredibly popular in the last decade, and so there's been now docs on almost everything and so frequently i'm like are we going to run out of big sports stories you know especially with our kind of historical lens and so you know we had an internal conversation and just thought about how can we open up the aperture you know how can we think about sports in a bit broader way and so what that really led to was just adding the words athleticism competition and adventure And so, with that kind of new perspective, we were able to look at stories that you wouldn't necessarily think ESPN should tell that. So, you know, last summer we did a 30 for 30 documentary about the hot dog eating competition. And while it's gross and interesting to watch that, it's really a rivalry story, and multiple people cry in the documentary. It's an incredibly emotional story, but again, like it's competition. And so that worked for us. We did a 30 for 30 podcast um, called Bikra which is all about the founder of Bikram Yoga and uh, his sexual misconduct and the power structures he created. And again, that falls under athleticism. So, you know, looking at these things and trying to find topics, um, you know, on my internal list over the past year, you know, Bruce Lee just felt like something that, you know, having ESPN do a Bruce Lee story would be really interesting. So, you know, a lot of people ask me all the time, like, have you thought about making a doc about Tiger Woods? Or, you know, you ask these things, like, well, every day we show up thinking about (laughs) what sports docs we can create. It's really about who's going to be the storyteller and what's their take on it. And so uh, while I was at the Sheffield Film Festival, I ran into a producer that I had previously known, um, and she said, yeah, you guys wouldn't be interested in, like, a Bruce Lee thing, right? And I was like you have one, and you know. And it turned out there's a Vietnamese-American filmmaker named Bao Gwyn, and his take on the film is not about the Bruce Lee myth or the Bruce Lee impact. It was really about the man himself, and it was also about uh, Asian-American male representation on film, um, and it was really a look at Bruce Lee um, through his struggle in the entertainment industry. So now, all of a sudden, you have a very very particular creative take on it, um, and then in addition, you know, this producer and director had done a lot of work in finding all the archives that exist, making relationship with the with the Lee estate. Um, so what? transpired as an all archival film um, because the filmmaker wanted you to live in the time period that he's, um, that he's directing as opposed to cutting out um, and talking to kind of people looking back on it. So uh, it ended up being a very special project. It also premiered at Sundance uh, earlier this year and we're gonna be taking it around the world and sharing it um, before it premieres uh, on ESPN in December.
3: Yeah, it sounds like a, a, a fascinating story and anyone who's seen the latest Tarantino film Once Upon a Time in Hollywood uh, might recognize some Yeah, of and the, actually yeah, just to this, give yeah. a little
5: fun little tidbit, you know, we were in production obviously when that came out and that actually helped us get the Lee family even more on board of our project because they were uh, so disappointed unhappy about in that. the portrayal. And so it really helped uh, kind of tie them in and, and allow us, um, you know, a better archive. And um, so it's... It's interesting when that happens, um, and that happens, I think, in general these days. It's impossible with so many people making things for things not to exist in multiple realms. When we did our O.J. Made in America documentary, there was an O.J. scripted series on FX, mm-hmm. and everyone was worried that no one was gonna give a crap about our project, and in the end, what happens is they both work together in kind of bringing um, yeah, interest. the appetite. And when you talk about how do you break through you know it actually was helpful to have another project in the marketplace which allowed the press to create a larger narrative of a story which allowed us to to break through so we're always trying to figure that out but i will say of any of the projects that i've worked on Bruce Lee cuts across every demographic, every, eight, there's just an insatiable, you know we had a, uh, we have also a big Michael Jordan project coming this year and so we had our research team do, you know all, which one are you most looking forward to and Bruce Lee like beat the Michael Jordan one and, and everyone was just shocked internally and I was like well anecdotally every person I talk to when I tell them we're doing that kind of goes over the moon for it. Yeah. So. And an international name, is, it's like a Muhammad Ali level name in the pantheon of, you know. Exactly. And I would love to find I mean, I think that's part of the reason why I'm here at this conference. I would love to find more international stories. It just needs to have some reason why American viewers are also going to be interested in it. So, Lance and Bruce both have international, you know, uh, por- uh, profiles, um, but they're still, you know, tied to an American thing. So, finding that mix.
3: All right. Well, let's have a let's have a little look at uh, how this how this Bruce Lee film uh, ended up. It's called Be Water. And Tim, let's roll the tape.
6: When Green Hornet was cancelled, that was a very vulnerable time for him. He was very disappointed, very down, but he reset his goals. Bruce was doing a number of things to make ends meet. Sometimes he got an acting role, which is not very often,
2: and sometimes he was the stunt coordinator. We did the film, The Wrecking Crew, together. He was fun, he was great to work with. Bruce would come up to the house, hang out. And Bruce had a plan that he was going to become a big, kung fu, martial arts movie star. I said, go
6: for it. He refused to play any parts that were demeaning to Chinese people. And for the next few years, he had very few parts. It would have been really easy for him to sort of get stuck in a hamster wheel if he was just going to do it the way Hollywood wanted to do it.
5: Short clip.
3: Great. that archive, you just drink it in. You you just can't mm, see enough nothing. seconds of that, and it's that feeling of you're inside a very secret world. There. Yeah, well. and I think
5: when you talk about Brad and Victoria, talk about like what's the thing that makes you sit up in your seat when a pitch comes in? And I think for 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 me and for our team, it's you know the sentence like, oh, we have this archive that nobody's seen. Mm. Like that's the thing yeah. that makes us really <laughs> jump out of our seat. Note that Followed now. by <laughs> you think you know the story? Here's the stuff you do not know about it. If, if I can take your pitch and then spend a half hour on Google and get to 95% of your pitch, that that's not a great place to yeah. be. So I think it's about somebody who's pitching this in, knowing this story inside and out, so that they know even the five questions I'm going to ask and they have answers to those things.
3: And It's amazing how many people, and I mean, the whole panel tell us that, who don't necessarily do that kind of homework when they're approaching People like you and know what you want, what you make, what works for you. You think you, you know, ideally you want to get all that stuff sorted out before we. Reach
5: I, you. I want somebody who's who's going to basically, does not care what I say, if I say no, they're still going to go off and make this project. That's yeah, right. really, as opposed to, hey, what are you looking for? How do I fit in? Here are eight ideas. Here are one-liners, you know, as opposed to, like, I'm doing this project. Or do you want to do this with us? And if not, that's okay because I'm going to do it regardless. So
4: here, Here's where I'll, um, you know, at least with a and I don't pretend, I'm not going to pretend that you know what A&E is because what we Have on air doesn't necessarily represent what we're doing tomorrow Mm -hmm. because of the commissioning cycle and how long it takes. But what you need to know is what other shows exist in the marketplace. You got, there's this thing called Google that I think you referenced this Google thing. Um, Yeah, Yeah, I can give a demonstration. It's really easy to search the show that you know back and forth, the idea you know back and forth because it's your idea, and just see if it's been done before. Because if it has, you're going to get the question, but wait, I thought it was done on X before, or how is yours different than this? And what you don't want is, oh, I didn't know. And by the way, that this Google thing works worldwide. So if you're pitching to America, I don't pretend that you know the 70 shows that are getting premiered every day, but guess what you can find out? You can find out the 70 shows that premiere. When I'm sitting in my development room amongst my executives, I may have a computer and I'm doing the same thing to my colleagues and because what we can't do is all of a sudden have a show premiere while somebody else is premiering the same show or they already they just announced it. Um, you know, it's also relationships and who you talk to. So sometimes stuff in development you won't know about, but you know, we have a Bruce Lee doc ourselves. We know that ours is very different, um, but we know yours and, and we have those conversations. Um, but please, the one thing that you should know is not if it's right for a but what has existed in the marketplace. I think it's so important. Victoria? Yeah.
0: I would agree. You know, actually, have a look at the channels. Have a look at the content. See what we're doing. Um, you know, know that they're male-skewing networks. Mm-hmm. Right? It's surprising. Really surprising. Um that um, we often um, receive pitches which are so way off. But actually, it's not that they're not great ideas. They're just not working for our networks or the yeah. networks that I commission for. Um, so, so yeah, really, really take a look and have a think about the sort of male factual landscape.
3: And you stay firmly male? There's no kind of demographic creeping in any other so, direction? So,
0: look, you? I think... Um, um, certainly in the shows that we've been producing for Discovery. You know, you, I want to see dads and lads watching. Yeah. I want to see families watching together. You know, Richard Hammond's Big is a show, is a family show. Yeah. You yeah. know, Ed Stafford, Man, Woman, Child, Wild is a family show. Our, our competition format, which is our first, um, certainly for international, um, Ed Stafford, First Man Out, which is... Um, Essentially, the sort of central question is who's the best survival expert in the world? And and Ed's out there sort of trying his luck... Um, against uh, a number of competitors. You know, that's a family show. It's really good fun. And I think you do want to bring, yes, we're male skewing, but I want to bring a broad audience to those shows and bring volume to those shows. And the same on our free-to-air networks. We have shows that are very, very co-viewing. We're in the antiques and collectible space. And those audiences are huge and a co-viewing audience. So so it's important to, to appeal to a broader audience, I think.
3: Um, just looking forward to the, the landscape kind of question now and about the rise of various streamers and the impacts they have mm-hmm. on, on you guys. I'm mean, Adam, it was interesting, you were telling me that you've got this competition now because a, a filmmaker, their, their big dream is to take something To Netflix and Mm -hmm. get the big bucks and the big branded name on there, and that suddenly is making it harder for you to find people.
5: The documentary market has blown up in the last five, six years. And so there's a lot more options. And when we're competing, you know, against those kind of premium streamers, um, you know, we have to make a different type of argument, you know. I mean, I think you know, the argument we'll make against Netflix is you, know, you might get more money, but you're um, one of a million projects there. And you know what we can do at ESPN is you know, the best part of ESPN is when we get the whole machine behind it. I mean, we have s- so many outlets. We have a website that gets 115 million views a month. So you know, there's just all these ways that we could make something a big deal. Um, and so, you know, I think it depends on the filmmaker and what they're looking for. But yeah, it's it's the prices have gone up. The filmmakers are more in demand, um, and it's harder to break through. So we've had to kind of um, just make our argument fit the market. And, and you know, I mean, taking you out of your sports
3: niche as well, you've worked, you've had a, a, a really diverse background across television in the, in the US. And where do you see as someone with that kind of experience, where are we ending up? What's the prognosis for the next few years of how things might settle out?
5: What's right. your theory? I did exactly what these guys were doing, developing and trying to find shows. I, you know, I still think a great show is a great show is a great show and if you walk in with a great show, it, it can still work. I, I just think, it, I don't know, there's a million, it's harder and harder to break through. There's a million places to get your entertainment. Um, I'm going to have to, I'm, I'll join the conversation as we continue. I, yeah. I don't know where it it's going. Uh, I mean, Victoria?
0: Look, I think um as content creators um, that there are so many options and that's a wonderful thing mm. actually because there are there are multiple platforms um, to play content on and to fund content so that is a good thing Um, you know uh, consumption of content is on the rise you know you look um at how how our content is being um consumed it is being consumed in a different way so you know demand for our content um on our svod partners platforms is 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 on the up um uh desire for content on our own um, avod platforms we've got a a dplay um, platform a digital platform and we play all our free-to-air content on that that is growing we launched that in october so i think there are opportunities you know at discovery we've got a 30-year heritage of creating factual shows and and we will grow as other platforms will grow so I think look I think there's a lot of opportunity of course the landscape is changing and you know with that comes opportunity Mm -hmm. and I think it's about creating compelling content you know essentially telling great stories with strong characters and if you create really strong content you know you you, you can get that on platforms and people will watch it yeah
4: right I mean, I, th- I, think it's, I think it's tough. Um, I think, you know, the CD has gone away, but music hasn't. Yeah. And I think that's where we're headed. So I think it's just the output to the audience may be different. Yeah. Um, so A&E will exist. In what form, I can't tell you. Um, there's a lot, going back to the smarter people reference, there's a lot more smarter people than me at my company that are figuring that out. Mm-hmm. My job is to sustain us being a network that people watch television and want shows that are very different, and that's not going to go away. That's That's been for 100 years plus, and it's gonna continue. So um, I think the networks that don't have those shows, the med- and it's the, we're just gonna be okay, are not gonna be okay. Um, I think it's sink or swim. So yes, there's I think there's gonna be some compression. Um, I think the distinction, you know, and, and I, I watch Netflix every day, you know, and I'm okay with it. Um, The producers that are making shows for Netflix, I'm okay with them making Netflix shows. I congratulate them when I think they have a success because who knows if they do or not. (laughs) But I do know that when people talk about a show, it doesn't matter how many millions of people, people are talking about a show. Yeah. You know, maybe your peers, and maybe somebody else, and maybe just the person sitting across the table. But that's what we gotta do, we gotta have people talk about our shows, we gotta talk about our own shows. So Netflix is making the streamers, and the amount of, not just Netflix, the amount of content hours, because when you look at, in the US, by May, you're gonna have Peacock launch, which is all of NBC's content, it's gonna be a massive force. And you're going to have
5: HBO Max.
4: HBO Max launch, which is also a massive force. So that they haven't even launched. Disney's in Quibi. everybody's homes with a kid, mm. you know, what was it? Quibi. Quibi.
5: Yes. Quibi. It's a couple hundred more hours. Of
4: $150 million stuff. of advertising pre-sold. You know, uh, Meg and, and Katzenberg, don't bet against them. Um, their content team is fantastic. It's a lot. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult but it's not going away. So my job is not gonna look like my job in five years. I can guarantee that. What it is, I think it's still harvesting content from the best producers and creatives. I really do, it's not going away.
5: I almost think now, I mean the value of a hit is was always you know so valuable obviously, but I think even now if you're really able to break through with something in this climate, you're gonna get paid. Like, like crazy, because it's just so hard to do, to have people talking about a show. And so if you can actually do that, God bless.
3: Just uh, we're kind of getting into the last 10 minutes of the session now. And there's a, a question has come through on the app, which is working oh. brilliantly, Brad. Um, how do you find a producer production company to make Top Dog? Like, who do you, who do you decide to go to?
4: I mean, th- that story is unique. Um, you know, most of our ideas tend to happen from producers, so, you know, this is an exception. My job is is um, to support the production community. Um, with that particular show, um, there um, we did go out to a producer, um, and it wasn't the right match. Um, and this producer was somebody that was in our family. Um, and it's okay. That happens.
5: How did you know and when did you know it wasn't a match?
4: <laughs> um we knew when the conversations weren't being met on the other side. <laughs> there was a difference of, a, what's it, when the showrunners leave projects, it was a creative indifference or whatever, yeah, the sure. nice, Great it was it, the vision for the show that my colleague and I had, and the network had, because that was all shared, um, was not matched by the other side. Um, they decided to go down a different angle. Um, and they removed themselves from the show. Basically, it wasn't even our decision. They said, you yeah, know, we're going we're gonna to step That's back. Awesome. The company that we chose um, was the only company that we could have within our family. Um, It was Big Fish, who produces the Live PD universe. And we didn't do that because of volume. But the one question that the other company couldn't answer, neither could we, is four out of five dogs were from working law enforcement uh, uh, companies, or uh, um, cities, counties. How were we gonna get that volume? Big Fish has relationships with Live PD and the reputation to service the law enforcement community. Yeah. So that's the only way we could go. Great idea. The, the idea could have been produced by 50 different producers, but it was the access into the police departments to get us the cast for the shows that made it very easy. Now, what also, and I'll, and I'll talk about Big Fish because um, they're a big company That's we have a lot. Yes, they are. They are we give them a lot of sorry, They deserve all the business that we have together because they have been fantastic in everything we've done. But what they did with this format, they've never produced a competition show. They've never produced a format like this. They've never worked with dogs in this way. But they have a reputation that we knew with working with them that they were going to hire the best in every category. Mm. They did not have an ego inside and go, I know how to produce this show. In fact, it was the opposite. It was, give us the resources because we don't. What we have is what others don't have is this access. So every step of the way, we hired the best. They listened to us. It was the. I I hate when people sit up on these panels and just like praise everybody because it's clearly not the case with our jobs because we're bitching about everything when we go back in the office. (laughs) But this was a relationship. And by the way, Accused Every episode is great in A, and Brinkworth is amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, But here, not but here, They just outworked, and here's why. They knew that if they themselves got into a genre that they previously had not gotten into, especially a genre that big television does, ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox, then this was a calling card for them. So they also knew that there was a business that they had not had. So it was the need for us, and it was the desire for them to grow, that I knew that they were going to be working on this 24-7, and they did. Um, We were on location, and there was a problem with the crew. And I was down there and I heard the problem and I relayed it to the to the owner of the company within this was at three in the morning. We over we shot overnights. Within a half hour it was solved. And this guy literally wrote a five-figure check to solve this problem. For reason, not to pay somebody off. Like it was something that was happening. <laughs> it was it was it was something that um, was was dog. missing. That he just quickly write a personal. He didn't have his company checks. He wrote a personal check to 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 solve the the the, the problem. And I saw that firsthand. He didn't have to do that. Mm-hmm. He didn't have to do that on that day. But that's who you want to work with. You want to work with people that will yeah. give you everything. If it, if you're in this just to sell a show, get out of the business. Mm-hmm. But if you're here because you have a passion and you want to make a difference and you want to do things that others haven't done, that's going to get you through dealing with me and Certainly and me. Us. Yeah, For sure. Certainly <laughs> clearly the reputation.
0: <laughs> but, but I think I think you're right. You know, actually um, we're filmmakers, we're coming at these projects with, with passion and commitment and my, uh, as are my team. And actually we expect that from our producers. Mm. And we are a we are a team making these shows. You know, we've all got a different role to play, and everyone needs to give 110%. You have got to be committed to these projects. And actually, if you are, then that creates opportunity that creates opportunity for me to bring ideas to you and for us to create new shows. Um, It gives networks confidence. And also, you know, if you're playing shows on our networks on a global stage, you know, that is a brilliant calling card for for other networks. Yeah,
4: yeah. I I know our time is short, but I just want to answer really that question. It's, I don't care who you are, what you are, where you're from. If you're the right person for the project, then you're getting it. So again, Brinkworth, a father-son produce that show out of the UK, a US crime show. It's posted in the UK, the production was set in the UK, mm-hmm. but it's an American show. They were the right people for the show because they knew how to make that mm-hmm. show and nobody else knew how to make that show. So I don't care again where you are. Now, if there's if like I'm not going to pair you with a company just because we're in business with a company that makes no sense whatsoever. No company ever sells a show, it's the show that show, sells the show. But if you can't make it and you're honest about it, then that's your decision. I have to okay it, but that's your decision. So I quickly go, who do you want to work with? Maybe I can open up that door for you as well. There's also, you know, we have an internal production company with an a called Six West that's brilliant, that's amazing. And sometimes with independent producers, I say, it's your advantage to go with them because of the business. It will sell easily. By the way, they're creatively brilliant and, and, and really producing amazing content. So it's not going to sacrifice your show. But if it's going to help you sell the project a little bit more, then that's my goal mm-hmm. too. My job is equally to sell a show to my team as it is to buy a show. Um, I am a far better seller and I sell more than I am in a network executive than I was. I sold for 10 years, I didn't know how to sell a show. Only when I became a network executive is did I really know how to sell a show.
5: People um, forget that, that you're basically pitching so that that executive can go in a room internally. Yeah. Give and him something I
4: can deliver upstairs. Yeah. Yeah. I have marketing. I have scheduling. I have research. I have international. I have all these other departments that I have to sell something to. I didn't know that when I was a seller. And it's my job as a network executive to help you through that process. And when I was a seller, I knew every person in every network that knew how to sell. I didn't understand any of that until I really became a network exec. So I should probably be a producer because now I know what I'm doing. <laughs> anyway. Thanks, Brad. Well,
3: I think with that, we're getting pretty close to the end and we'll um, we'll wrap it up. Thank you very much. Big round of applause to Brad, Victoria, and Adam. Thank
0: you.